Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. We're at the end of this series, Face to Face, and we've spent all summer long looking at how Jesus, when he walked the earth, he came for the masses, but he engaged people face to face. And the way he did was to step out of the religious cultural norms of his day. Uh, We saw that. Not only he he engaged people face-to-face in the religious norms as well, but he came face-to-face by crossing racial boundaries, gender boundaries, political boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries, religious boundaries. I don't know what your takeaway is, but I am sitting in this and going, my goodness, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to cross some boundaries too and trust God in some unknown, scary, for me, areas. And I hope that you are coming to that understanding, that Jesus came so that he could get face-to-face with people. He left the planet and commissioned us to get face-to-face with people. We talked about midway through the series how the average American spends almost 11 hours now before a screen. The average adult checks their smartphone, adults, this is on most of us, 150 times a day. And the study I cited talked about how it's wreaking havoc in our culture. And it asked, if we put our phone down, what would we do? I have an idea. Let's get face-to-face with people and engage them. And love them with the love of Jesus. But it's going to be messy. I like my life sterile. I am a control freak. Am I alone in that, right? Uh, I'll get that in heaven. Right now on earth, it's going to be messy. And if we're not following Jesus into the mess, I really have to question, for me, am I following Jesus? Because the people that Jesus is calling us to minister to are across some boundary. So we're in the last series, and we're going to see the ultimate boundary. I almost wanted to title this message today, Face to Faces, because Jesus comes face to face with 6,000 demons. It's crazy. He's playing out of his league. He's outnumbered, but the reality is they're out of their league when they come face to face with Jesus. I don't know what's facing you. I don't know what seems uh, oppressive to you. I don't know what's bigger than your uh, circumstances or than you. But I promise you with Jesus, uh, you come face to face and Jesus will win that battle every, every time. So let's pray. Let's open our Bibles. I hope they're open. And let's jump into Luke chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this word. Thanks for this series. We don't want to just be hearers, Lord. We want to be doers. And so guide us now as we look at this. Lord, uh, we all need this. Give us attentive ears. Give us willing, obedient hearts. Give us the faith to trust you. This isn't about us. This is about you. Pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. I listen to about uh, a ton of podcasts every week, uh, preaching from all over the country, from all different people. My favorite, one of my favorite preachers is actually in Aptos. His name is Rene. He pastors a church called Twin Lakes Church. He'll actually uh, be a part of the David series, which would be great. On Easter Sunday, he used an illustration I want to use from him. He talked about how the War of 1812 tested our young nation's resolve against a vastly superior British force. We were outnumbered. And yet, when the British were defeated, a wave of celebration and unity swept America so strongly, historians called the era from 1812 to 1825. Are you ready? 
the era of good feelings in America. I was listening to that and wondering, what would they call the era today? How many of you think it would be called the era of good feelings part two? No, I don't either. Or the era of unprecedented kindness and unity in America? I don't either. You know what actually some experts say, based on studies, I'll use the era language, they would call it the era of hopelessness. The Center of Disease Control is reported for the third consecutive year. This has not happened in over a century. For a third consecutive year, the average lifespan of America is in decline. We're actually declining in the age we die. What's interesting, though, is they're saying it's not the normal culprits. This isn't because of heart disease or cancer or other diseases. They are pointing to three factors, depression, addiction, overdose, uh, four, and suicide which is lowering the average lifespan in America. We live in a hopeless age. And what I'm telling you is I believe at the core of that is an evil, demonic force. And I don't want to freak anyone out, but we are talking about it today. Uh, that has on its agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, at some point, you guys are looking at your watches going, is this really 2019? Am I really on the peninsula? And this pastor is talking like that? Absolutely. Uh, outside the church, uh, spirituality, which is a code word for open to spiritual beings, is in. I read a study this week. Actually, this coming month in September, on the cover of Vanity Fair, Kristen Stewart will grace the cover. Do you know that name? Uh, she's 29 years old. She fronted all the Twilight movies. Uh, she, her movies have grossed at 29, totality, over $4.3 billion. She's a pretty big deal. They asked her in this Vanity Fair, that's not a, like a, a marginal um, publication, right? They asked her this question in that. She says, they asked her, do you believe in ghosts? She said, absolutely. I talk to them all the time. It's just mainstream out there. I raise this issue because when we read in Luke 8:27, like Katie read, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man in the town. The original language is actually more aggressive. He was, he was stormed, if you will. This was not met like a chance meeting on the street. This man ran to Jesus looking for a fight. Some of you are wondering, do they really believe in demons? I mean, I read about that in the Bible. Do they really exist here? I don't see things like that around here. And with all due respect, I want to ask, why not believe in demons? And now, if you identify as an atheist or agnostic and you don't believe God exists, it is logical, therefore, that you wouldn't believe demons exist. I'll give you that. But if you, like most Peninsulites, are spiritual in any way, if you, especially if you identify as a follower of Christ, it is illogical and inconsistent to believe a supernatural good exists, but not a supernatural evil. So let me just take two minutes and give a quick excursus on this so we're all on the same page. I want you to understand what is taught in the Bible, and then we'll jump into our passage. The Bible talks about and teaches that before creation, there existed angelic beings that were created to worship God, to serve God, to honor and obey God. The Bible teaches that there was a rebellion against God in these angelic beings. They were prideful. 
you can read about this in Ezekiel chapter uh, 28 or in Isaiah chapter 14. These are Old Testament books if you're not familiar with the Bible. But they talk about how this rebellion was led by a colonel of sorts uh, in the rank of angels. There was a war in heaven. Satan was defeated. And those who were aligned with him, that colonel, Satan, were thrown in the battlefield, moved to planet Earth. Jesus talked about this very scene in Luke, this book that we're in right now, chapter 10, verse 18, when he said blatantly, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, Satan and demons are not equal to God. We're going to see that today. It's not a yin and yang. Jesus is facing 6,000 demons. He's one God-man. And it's not even a battle. He's outnumbered and they fall. God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is all-present without beginning or end. Satan, demons, exist with limited knowledge, limited power, limited insight. That is why, my friends, it is so important that we worship together out loud because it's not only a statement for us that encourages us. I was in my office putting, putting finishing touches on this. I could hear the singing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get in there because it lifts my heart when we sing together. But in the spirit realm, it makes a statement about who God is. There are some prayers I pray out loud. I want the Satan in the demonic realm to hear some of my prayers. And then there's times I commune with God in my internal spirit. Spirit communes with spirit. And Satan can't hear that. Demons can't hear that. So here's the deal. They know their end. When I was a young believer, I used to pray for Satan to repent. And then I read the book of Revelation and realized, oh, he's not going to repent. That's a futile prayer. I used to think, really, he repents, it all gets good, right? That'd be a great prayer. But um, they know their end, and so they are literally hell-bent because they know they can't conquer God. They're out to take the thing closest to the heart of God. You, me, our allegiance to him. I say this because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture your way, but the word of God does a work of God. That's why we believe here. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, in order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Does that describe you? Are you aware how our enemy works? Do you go into life understanding his schemes, his ploys? 23 years of living on the peninsula, here's what I've learned. People on the peninsula don't mind being wrong. We don't mind being wrong. What we hate is being naive. For too many of us, we're naive when it comes to the demonic realm, the dark spiritual realm, the footholds, the doors we open in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own marriages to the enemy. I don't want that for anyone. So we're going to jump into this passage and we're going to, we're going to see how the demonic realm works and how with Jesus it's conquered. Amen? I want you to be encouraged, okay? So here we go. Open your Bibles. All of us look. We're going on a mission trip, everybody. This is Jesus' first mission trip. Uh, true story, right? Up to this point, he's been in the northwest region. If you think of the Sea of Galilee, think of 10 o'clock. That's where Jesus uh, was raised. That's where most of his ministry took place. At 7 o'clock, that's where Jerusalem is. They took trips down there. But uh, at 3 o'clock, that was the place of the pagans. That was the place on the Sea of Galilee that no Jew would go. 
The rabbis taught that was the place of Beelzebub, which was the demon god. It was a pagan region called the Decapolis because there were 10 towns in that region formed by the Greeks. They worshiped fertility cults. And you know who their sacred animal was? The pig. The pig. Uh, what the lamb was to the Jew, what the Tesla is to the Peninsulite. <laughs> Tesla's Greek for pig. Just kidding. <laughs> what the pug is to the Gadinis, we love pugs, right? Um, uh, the pig was to these people. They valued it. They worshipped it. It was their sacred animal, right? So when Jesus said, as you, if you look in your Bible in, in Luke 8, in the story before it, Jesus says, hey, we're getting in the boat. We're going to the other side. These disciples would go, wait a second. We don't want to go there. Who goes over there? We don't want to go over there. Let's keep this to ourselves. And then they get in the storm, right? They get in the boat. Jesus is asleep. He's a little tired. And, and the storm raises up. And they're like, we shouldn't have gotten in the boat. See, we're being opposed right now. And Jesus uses a command. You can read it. Uh, it's the same word he uses to command demons out of people, only he does it out of nature. He says, be still. Come out. And it gets calm. And then they come up to the shore. Remember, they're scared to begin with. And they get charged by this crazed, naked, dehumanized guy. They're like, we told you we shouldn't have come here. This is what's going on in their heart. They're afraid. They're afraid. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Here we go. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from the Sea of Galilee. They didn't worship the God of the Bible there. There was no synagogue. There was no Torah they were very spiritual people. They valued religion. It was just a multifaceted, demonic religion. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met. Again, that's, a, that's putting it mildly. He was confronted. This man came running towards him, not for the welcome committee, but to confront him with a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, the first thing Jesus and his disciples see is this man running towards him. And this man is legendary in the region. If you put Matthew, Mark, uh, their account with this, it's in all three Gospels. And they all record the confrontation at the sea and then the confrontation in the land. This man was that kid, that man who kids were told, don't go near the gravesite. Stay away from that crazy, naked, demonized man running all around. People had totally given up on him. They tried to shackle him. He broke the chains. That's how powerful these demons are. I guess 6,000 demons. That's a pretty good amount of power. Mark's account records he was actually gaining in strength, Mark's gospel. He was becoming increasingly at the same time dehumanized. And I just want to pause and tell you there is the inversion of sin and evil. You think you're growing in power, but you're actually becoming more and more enslaved. I want us all to consider this. This man, on one hand, he's empowered. He has great strength. He's breaking chains. At the same time, he's a slave. He's dehumanized. He forgets who he is. If you look in the story, Luke brings this out. Uh, I think it's around verse 30. is the last time he uses a second-person plural, a second-person pronoun, he. Look at verse 31. He goes second person, plural, they. He has lost his sense of himself. This is what evil does. This is what sin does. It dehumanizes you. So on one hand, he's growing in strength. He's breaking chains. At the same time, he's becoming more and more dehumanized 
and he doesn't get it because sin is deceitful. The more power evil gives you, the more it takes away the core of who you are. He has greater empowerment, but at the same time, he has increasing inner enslavement. I want you to sit in that for a minute. The more power you perceive that sin gives you, the more dehumanized and enslaved you become. That's why around here, we, we with the force of love, encourage you to live in the boundaries that God's created. They're not to shackle you. They're to give us life. Obedience is life. We'll see in a minute. Demons equate Christ with torture. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus didn't come to torture you or me. He came to free us. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I think of just in that, I, well, let's just jump in. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. And here it is. I beg you. Don't what? Don't torture me. That's not what Christ came to do. When he says to Jesus, don't torture me, here's the deception of the demonic, the deception of sin. It never gives full disclosure. It, it, it overpromises and underdelivers. There's no grace in sin. It's unbelievable to me. Obedience to Christ is not torture. I would encourage you to write that down. It's not torture. It's not being shackled. So many times I interact with uh, people, mainly on the peninsula, and I thought this before I became a Christian. <laughs> are you kidding me? I remember in a fraternity, someone sharing the gospel with me going, <laughs> are you kidding me? I have so much fun right now. Why would I choose Christ? Little did I know that I defined fun as a, and what it was was destruction, destruction to my body, Destruction of people by the way I treated them, lying to them, whatever I wanted, but would lie to get. It was destruction. And, and it was, I'm thinking, like, I don't want to be enslaved as a Christian. Am I making sense? If you identify as a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you today. That's what we come together to do bring encouragement that obeying Christ is not torture. If you don't identify with Christ, Christ would invite you into this life where he can restore and rebuild you and let you go to be free. That's why Jesus took this mission trip. As far as we know, he only interacted with one individual. He faced the storm, took his disciples through that because he wanted them to know the power of one coming face to face. And if you're here and you feel like, oh my gosh, my life is in shambles. Jesus would never accept me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. Take courage. There's no boundary Jesus wouldn't cross to come to you and to restore you. Mama Ange, that's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times, now look at this, talk about dehumanizing. It seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains and had been driven by the demon to solitary places, to isolation. 
This man was not always like this. He was once a son, maybe a brother. He was in community at one point. But this is the end game to isolate and destroy. So Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. A legion was a military term in the Roman Empire, uh, meaning anywhere from... um, 3,500 soldiers to 6,000 soldiers, the way it's been used in uh, extra-biblical literature outside of this word, outside this book. So there was anywhere between 3,500 and 6,000 demons occupying this man. They begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Uh, Ironically, the Greeks believed, and the Jews, the abyss was under the sea. So when the disciples crossed the sea and the storms came up, they would believe in their Jewish mind this was the demonic oppressing and opposing them. And the demons are saying, don't send us into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus, let them go into them. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off. You'd think they'd be excited, right? Mm -mm. They ran off and reported to this man. I reported this in the town and the countryside. So we do have a pug. We are fanatics about pugs. Our pug's name is Pearl. You should all meet her. She's amazing. Um... And we take Pearl to dog parks. I want to just put this in our context. One of the best dog parks out there. We've been to San Carlos, Rivers City, but Barkley Park up on Farm Hill Boulevard. It's very dog friendly. It's even a dog statue at Barkley Park. And Pearl can just run with the big dogs, right? And she's running all around. Imagine me going up there and casting out a demon out of a human, exercising the demon, and sending the demons into the dogs in Barkley Park, and they all go run into 280 and get hit by cars and die. Now, see, that's the exact reaction these people had in the, in the Decapolis. They're like, wait, this is my beautiful pig. This, they were even more so. This is our sacred pig. Jesus, you've ruined what we worship. You've destroyed our idols. How dare you? But that's what Jesus came to do. And I want to tell you this, because pigs don't give you life. And, in, you know, insert whatever your functional savior is for a pig. It could be your career. It could be a, a, an earning potential. It could be your bank account. It could be your body image. There's no life in that. So, yes, Jesus may dismantle that even destroy it because he offers something so much richer and better than what you're depending on. So the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and what did they find? Look at this. The man from whom demons had gone out was sitting at Jesus' feet. Now he's rehumanized. This is what Jesus wants to do for us and everyone on the peninsula. He's dressed He's in his right mind, and they're afraid. What happened to this guy? He came face to face with Jesus, and Jesus changes people. 
See, that's why I want to encourage you in these next four weeks for doing a vision series in the next four weeks and telling you very, um, very uh, precisely, accurately, with all the faith we have, the direction we're going in this coming year. We want to bring as many people as possible, starting with us, face-to-face with Jesus. Because when you get face-to-face with Jesus, change happens. Change happens. So those who'd seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Now you'd think there'd be a party. You'd think they'd be excited. But look at this. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus, leave them because they were overcome with fear. Can you imagine? So he got in the boat and he left. The mission trip's over. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him. Wouldn't you too? You're in the absolute minority in a town. You are the only follower of Jesus now in that town. I think of us on the peninsula. We are in the absolute minority. And and we're not opposed to culture. We love people. But as a follower of Christ, we are in the absolute minority. God has placed us here, my friends. And look at this. Verse 39 is for us, okay? This is our verse. Our verse. Everyone look at verse 39. Jesus said to him, no. Because if you go with me, who's going to tell all of them? See, if you go with me, the, the, the mindset on the other side where the Jews are is we don't go to these people. But I came to earth to empower people to get face-to-face and cross boundaries and get into some mess to show people the good news of the gospel. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. That's a verse worth writing and putting on your mirror, your refrigerator, whatever. It is our mandate. Our mandate. 30 minutes ago, he was a crazed, demon-possessed man. Now he's commissioned as a missionary into the epicenter, what the first century Jews thought was enemy territory. He didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't have a Bible. There wasn't a Bible back then. He didn't know Greek or Hebrew, but he had the essential qualifications, and here's what they are. See if you have these two, okay? He had a changed life. He had a longing to be with Jesus, and he had a call from Jesus. Let me go through those again. This is all he had. He had a changed life. Anyone here had their life changed by Christ? He had a a longing to be with Jesus. Anyone here long to be with Jesus? Yeah. And then he had a call from Jesus to go. And if you identify as a follower of Christ, you are called. You are called. So Jesus gets in the boat. Maybe the disciples are going, wait a second. You're trusting that guy? He's not old enough. We can't trust him. He doesn't know his theology. What are you doing, Jesus? There's pictures of him all over the internet, nude. How is God going to use that? (laughs) Jesus says, but he's got a changed life. He has a longing to be with me and a calling from me. And that's all I need to transform people. You know the greatest thing at PCC? You know, we're banking on everything this coming year. It's not me or Ian or Katie 
or Brian. We're not banking on us. I brag all the time. I've been up at the Oregon coast for a week at a family conference, bragging on you, saying the best thing at PCC is you, our people, being transformed, living it out Monday through Friday where you are, shaking in your boots somewhat, but that just means you're out of your comfort zone, exactly where God wants you to be. You have a changed life, you have a desire to be with Jesus, and you have a calling as a disciple of Jesus disguised by what's ever on your LinkedIn profile. That's who you are. So Jesus goes back, back to the Jewish territory. And the next time he returns, uh, it's not recorded in Luke, but in the book of Mark, chapter 7, end of the chapter, records him going back. Chapter 7, verse 31. And you know what happens this time? Remember the first time only one demonized guy greeted him? It says the crowd came out to greet him. And he healed people. And he taught people. And it went for so long, Jesus said, I love these people. I'm in Mark chapter 8 now. He said, don't turn there. We don't have time for you to turn there. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 1 to 2, he says, we got to feed these people. And they numbered them 4,000 people. Jesus fed them. This guy did his job with a changed life, a calling, and a longing to be with Jesus. As we wrap this up, I want to encourage us all that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. When Jesus came face to face with this guy, the only way this guy could be used is if Jesus traded places with him. Because at the end of Jesus' life, he would go to the realm of the dead. He would be the one that was so disfigured, people turned their faces away from him. He would be the one that was so filled with sin, our sin, so this guy could be free. That's the gospel, my friend. And then he was laid in a tomb where this guy used to hang out. The only reason we have life is because Jesus traded places with us. And he invites us today and commissions us today to go in our peninsula and make a difference. Again, I want to encourage you. Jesus said, greater is he that's in you than the ones that are in the world. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.